Today's Escape Pod is brought to you by N.K. Jemison's The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. Out now from Orbit. You can read an excerpt from this debut novel at www.nkjemison.com. Escape Pod. 244. June 6, 2010. Non-Zero Probabilities by N.K. Jemison. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. Yes, Escape Pod. I'm Dave Thompson and I'm taking a break from my regular thaumaturgical gig at Podcastle to captain this ship into hyperspace this week to infinity and beyond in the name of Hugo nominations and the mighty Mer Lafferty. Welcome aboard. We've got something special put together for you over the next five weeks. In keeping with tradition, Escape Pod will be bringing you each of the five short stories nominated for the Hugo Awards, and each episode will be brought to you by a very special host. That's right. I'm not only special, I'm very special. Today's story is Non-Zero Probabilities by N.K. Jemison, an author who's been featured both here at Escape Pod and also at Podcastle. N.K. Jemison's also had stories published at Strange Horizons, Bane's Universe, and Postscripts. Her debut novel, A Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, is now out from Orbit Books, and it's coincidentally our sponsor for this week. What are the odds? Stay tuned after the story to hear more. This story was originally published at Clark's World. If you're not listening to the Clark's World podcast or reading their stories online for free, you need to head over to clarksworldmagazine.com and check it out. Clarksville publishes some insane fiction, and they received a Hugo nomination this year for Best Semi-Prozine. I'm going to talk about them a little bit more later after the episode. Non-Zero Probabilities was narrated by the fantastic Kate Baker, who's read many a story here at Escape Pod. This particular narration was originally done by her for a bonus episode of the Clarksville podcast, and she and Neil Clark were gracious enough to give us the permission to bring it all to you here, unchanged, and with their expressed permission. Thank you very much, Neil and Kate. We greatly appreciate it. So watch out for black cats. Keep a firm grip on your lucky rabbit's foot. Because it's story time. In the mornings, Adele girds herself for the trip to work as a warrior for battle. First, she prays, both to the Christian god of her Irish ancestors and to the Orishas of her African ancestors. The latter she is less familiar with but getting to know. Then, she takes a bath with herbs, including dried chicory and allspice, from a mixture given to her by the woman at the local botanica. She doesn't know Spanish well, but she's getting to know that, too. Today's word is suerte. Then, smelling vaguely of coffee and pumpkin pie, she layers on armor, the St. Christopher medal her mother sent her, for protection on journeys. The hair clasp she was wearing when she broke up with Larry, which she regards as the best decision of her life. On especially dangerous days, she wears the panties in which she experienced her first self-induced orgasm, post-Larry. They're a bit ragged after too many commercial laundromat washings, but still more or less sound. She washes them by hand now, with wool light, and lays them flat to dry. Then she starts the trip to work. She doesn't bike, though she owns one. A next-door neighbor broke an arm when her bike's front wheel came off in mid-pedal. Could have been anything. Just an accident, but still. 
So Adele sets out, swinging her arms, enjoying the day if it's sunny, wrestling with her shitty umbrella if it's raining. She no longer opens the umbrella indoors. Keeping a careful eye out for those who may not be as well protected. It takes two to tango, but only one to seriously fuck up some shit, they say in her hood. And lo and behold, just three blocks into her trip, there is a horrible crash and the ground shakes and car alarms go off, and there are screams and people start running. Smoke billows full of acrid ozone and a taste like dirty blood. When Adele reaches the corner, tensed and ready to flee, she beholds the Franklin Avenue shuttle train, a tiny thing that runs on an elevated track for some portions of its brief run, lying sprawled over Atlantic Avenue, like a beached aluminum whale. It has jumped its track, fallen thirty feet to the ground below, and probably killed everyone inside, or under, or near it. Adele goes to help, of course, but even as she and other good Samaritans pull bodies and screaming wounded from the wreckage, she cannot help but feel a measure of contempt. It is a cover, her anger. Easier to feel that than horror at the shattered limbs, the truncated lives. She feels a bit ashamed, too, but holds on to the anger because it makes a better shield. They should have known better. The probability of a train derailment was infinitesimal. That meant it was only a matter of time. Her neighbor, the other one across the hall, helped her figure it out long before the math geeks finished crunching their numbers. Watch, he'd said, and laid a deck of cards face down on her coffee table. There was coffee in the cups, with a generous dollop of Bailey's. He was a nice enough guy that Adele felt comfortable offering this. He shuffled it with the blurring speed of an expert, cut the deck, shuffled again, then picked up the whole deck and spread it, still face down. Pick a card. Adele picked. The Joker. Only two of those in the deck, he said, then shuffled and spread again. Pick another. She did and got the other Joker. Coincidence, she said. This had been months ago, and she was still skeptical. He shook his head and set the deck of cards aside. From his pocket, he took a pair of dice. He was nice enough to invite inside, but he was still that kind of guy. Check it, he said, and tossed them onto her table. Snake eyes. He scooped them up, shook them, tossed again. Two more ones. A third toss brought up double sixes. At this, Adele had pointed in triumph. But the fourth toss with snake eyes again. These aren't weighted, if you're wondering, he said. Nobody filed the edges or anything. I got these from the bodega up the street, from a pile of shit the old man was tossing out to make more room for food shelves. Brand new, straight out of the package. Might be a bad set, Adele said. Might be, but the cards ain't bad, nor your fingers. He leaned forward, his eyes intent despite the pleasant haze that the Baileys had brought on. Snake eyes, three tosses out of four? And the fourth, a double six? That ain't supposed to happen even in a rigged game. Now check this out. Carefully, he crossed the fingers of his free hand. Then he tossed the dice again, six throws this time. The snakes still came up twice, but so did other numbers. Fours and threes and twos and fives. Only one double six. 
That's batshit, man, said Adele. Yeah, but it works. He was right, and so Adele had resolved to read up on gods of luck and to avoid breaking mirrors, and to see if she could find a four-leafed clover in the weed patch down the block. They sell some in Chinatown, but she's heard their knockoffs. She's hunted through the patch several times in the past few months, once, for several hours. Nothing so far, but she remains optimistic. It's only New York that's the really crazy thing. Yonkers? Fine. Jersey? Ditto. Long Island? Well, that's still Long Island. But past East New York, everything is fine. The news channels had been the first to figure out that particular wrinkle, but the religious really went to town with it. Some of them have been waiting for the end times for the last thousand years. Adele can't really blame them for getting all excited. She does blame them for their spin on it, though. There have to be bigger dens of inequity in the world. Delhi has poor people coming out of its ears. Moscow's mobbed up. Bangkok is pedophile heaven. She's heard there are still some sundown towns in the Pacific Northwest. Everybody hates on New York. And it's not like the signs are all bad. The state had to suspend its lottery program. Too many winners in one week bankrupted it. The Knicks made it to the finals, and the Mets won the World Series. A lot of people with cancer went into spontaneous remission, and some folks with full-blown AIDS stopped showing any viral load at all. There are new tours now, double-decker buses full of the sick and disabled. Adele tries to tell herself they're just more tourists. The missionaries from out of town are the worst. On any given day, they step in front of her, shoving tracks underneath her nose and wanting to know if she's saved yet. She's getting better at spotting them from a distance, yappy islands interrupting the sidewalk river's flow, their faces alight with an inner glow that no self-respecting local would display without three beers and a fat payday check. There's one now standing practically underneath a scaffolding ladder, idiot, Two steps back and he'll double his chances for getting hit by a bus. And then the bus will catch fire. In the same instant that she spots him, he spots her, and a grin stretches wide across his freckled face. She is reminded of the blind newts that have light-sensitive spots on their skin. This one is unsaved-sensitive. She veers right, intending to go around the scaffold, and he takes a wide step into her path again. She veers left. He breaks that way. She stops, sighing. <sighs> what? Have you accepted? I'm Catholic. They do us at birth, remember? His smile is forgiving. That doesn't mean we can't talk, does it? I'm busy. She attempts a feint, hoping to catch him off guard. He moves with her, nimble as a linebacker. Then I'll just give you this he says, tucking something into her hand. Not a tract. Bigger. A flyer. The day to remember is August 8th. This finally catches Adele's attention. August 8th. 8-8. Eight, eight. A lucky day, according to the Chinese. She has it marked on her calendar as a good day to do things like rent a zip car and go to Ikea. Yankee Stadium, he says. Come join us. We're going to pray the city back into shape. Sure, whatever, she says, and finally manages to slip around him. 
He lets her go, really. He knows she's hooked. She waits until she's out of downtown before she reads the flyer, because downtown streets are narrow and close, and she has to keep an eye out. It's a hot day, everybody's using their air conditioners. Most people don't bolt the things in the way they're supposed to. A prayer for the soul of the city, the flyer proclaims, and in spite of herself, Adele is intrigued. The flyer that says over 500,000 New Yorkers have committed to gathering on that day and concentrating their prayers. That kind of thing has power now, she thinks. There's some lab at Princeton, dusted off and given new funding lately, that's been able to prove it. Whether that means someone's listening, or just that human thought waves are affecting events as the scientists say, she doesn't know. She doesn't care. She thinks, I could ride the train again. She could laugh at the next Friday the 13th. She could, and hear her thoughts pause, because there's something she's been trying not to think about. But it's been a while and she's never been a very good Catholic girl anyway. But she could... Maybe, just maybe, try dating again. As she thinks this, she is walking through the park. She passes the vast lawn, which is covered in fast-darting black children and lazily sunning white adults and a few roving brown elders with Italian ice carts. Though she is usually in watch for things like this, the flyer has distracted her, so she does not notice the nearby cart man stopping cursing in Spanish because one of his wheels has gotten mired in the soft turf. This puts him directly in the path of a child who is running, his eyes trained on a descending frisbee. With the innate arrogance of a city child, he has assumed that the cart will have moved out of the way by the time he gets there. Instead, the child hits the cart at full speed, which catches Adele's attention at last, so that too late... She realizes she is at the epicenter of one of those devastating chains of events that only ever happen in comedy films in the transformed city. In a Rube Goldberg string of utter improbabilities, the cart tips over, spilling tubs of brightly colored ices onto the grass. The boy flips over it with acrobatic precision, completely by accident, and lands with both feet on the tub of ices. The sheer force of this blow causes the tub to eject its contents with projectile force. A blast of blueberry coconut red hurtles towards Adele's face, so fast that she has no time to scream. It will taste delicious. It will also likely knock her into oncoming bicycle traffic. At the last instant, the frisbee hits the flying mass, altering its trajectory. Freezing fruit flavors splatter the naked backs of a row of sunbathers nearby, much to their dismay. Adele's knees buckle at the close call. She sits down hard on the grass, her heart pounding, while the sunbathers scream and the cartman checks to see if the boy is okay, and the pigeons converge. She happens to glance down. A four-leafed clover is growing there at her fingertips. Eventually, she resumes the journey home. At the corner of her block, she sees a black cat lying atop a garbage can. Its head has been crushed, and someone has attempted to burn it. She hopes it was dead first, and hurries on. Adele has a garden on the fire escape. In one pot, eggplant and herbs, she has planted the clover in this. In another pot are peppers and flowers, and the big one, tomatoes and a scraggly collard, 
but she's going to kill if it keeps harvesting leaves so quickly. But she likes greens. It's luck, good luck, that she'd chosen to grow a garden this year, because since things changed, it's been harder for wholesalers to bring food into the city, and prices have shot up. The farmer's market that she attends on Saturdays has become a barter's market, too. So she plucks a couple of slim, deep purple eggplants and a handful of angry little peppers. She wants fresh fruit. Berries, maybe. On her way out, she knocks on the neighbor's door. He looks surprised as he opens it, but pleased to see her. It occurs to her that maybe he's been hoping for a little luck of his own. She gives it a think-over and hands him an eggplant. He looks at it in consternation. He's not the kind of guy to eat eggplant. I'll come by later and show you how to cook it, she says. He grins. At the farmer's market, she trades the angry little peppers for sassy little raspberries and the eggplant for two stalks of late rhubarb. She also wants information, so she hangs out a while gossiping with whoever sits nearby. Everyone talks more than they used to. It's nice. And everyone... Everyone she speaks to is planning to attend the prayer. I'm on dialysis, says an old lady who sits under a flowering tree. Every time they hook me up to that thing, I'm scared. Dialysis can kill you, you know. It always could, Adele doesn't say. I work on Wall Street says another woman, who speaks briskly and clutches a bag of fresh fish as if it's gold. Might as well be, fish is expensive now. A tiny Egyptian scarab pendant dangles from the necklace the woman wears. Quantitative analysis. All the models are fucked now. We were the only ones they didn't fire when the housing market went south. And now this. So she's going to pray too. Even though I'm kind of an atheist... Whatever, if it works, right? Adele finds others, all tired of performing their own daily rituals, all worried about their likelihood of being outliered to death. She goes back to her apartment building, picks some sweet basil, and takes it in the eggplant next door. Her neighbor seems a little nervous. His apartment is cleaner than she'd ever seen it, with the scent of pine sol still strong in the bathroom. She tries not to laugh and demonstrates how to peel and slice eggplant, salt it to draw out the toxins. It's related to nightshade, you know. And saute it with basil in olive oil. He tries to look impressed, but she can tell he's not the kind of guy to enjoy eating his vegetables. Afterward, they sit, and she tells him about the prayer thing. He shrugs. Are you going? She presses. Nope. Why not? It could fix things. Maybe. Maybe I like the way things are now. This stuns her. Man, the train fell off its track last week. Twenty people dead. She has woken up in a cold sweat on the night since. Screams ringing in her ears. Could have happened any time, he says, and she blinks in surprise because it's true. The official investigation says someone, track worker maybe, left a wrench sitting on the track near a power coupling. The chance that the wrench would hit the coupling causing a short and explosion was one in a million, but never zero. But, but, she wants to point out the other horrible things that have occurred, 
gas leaks, floods, a building fell down in Harlem, a fatal duck attack. Several of the apartments in their building are empty because a lot of people can't cope. Her neighbor, the other one with the broken arm, is moving out at the end of the month. Seattle. Better bike paths. Shit happens, he says. It happened then. It happens now. A little more shit, a little less shit, he shrugs. Still shit, right? She considers this. She considers it for a long time. They play cards and have a little wine, and Adele teases him about the overdone chicken. She likes that he's trying so hard. She likes even more that she's not thinking about how lonely she's been. So they retire to his bedroom, and there's awkwardness, and she's shy because it's been a while, and you do lose some skills without practice, and he's clumsy because he's probably been developing bad habits from porn, but eventually they manage. They use a condom. She crosses her fingers while he puts it on. There's a rabbit's foot keychain attached to the bed railing, which he strokes before returning his attention to her. He swears he's clean and she's on the pill, but, well, shit happens. She closes her eyes and lets herself forget for a while. The prayer thing is all over the news. The following week is the run-up. Talking heads on the morning shows speculate that it should have some effect if enough people go and exert positive energy. They are careful not to use the language of any particular faith. This is still New York. Alternative events are being planned all over the city for those who don't want to come under the evangelical tent. The sukamobiles are rolling, though it's the wrong time of year, just getting the word out about something happening at one of the synagogues. In Flatbush, Adele can't walk a block without being hit up by Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a constructive visualization somewhere for the ethical humanists. Not everybody believes God, or gods, will save them. It's just that this is the way the world works now. And everybody gets that. If crossed fingers can temporarily alter a dice throw, then why not something bigger? There's nothing inherently special about crossed fingers. It's only a lucky gesture because people believe in it. Get them to believe in something else, and that should work too. Except... Adele walks past the botanical gardens where preparations are underway for a big Shinto ritual. She stops to watch the workers putting up a graceful red gate. She's still afraid of the subway. She knows better than to get her hopes up about her neighbor. But still, he's kind of nice. She still plans her mornings around her ritual ablutions and her walks to work around danger spots. But how is that different, really, from what she did before? Back then it was makeup and hair and fear of muggers. Now she walks more than she used to. She's lost ten pounds. Now she knows her neighbors' names. Looking around, she notices other people standing nearby also watching the gate go up. They glance at her, some nodding, some smiling, some ignoring her and looking away. She doesn't have to ask if they will be attending one of the services. She can see that they won't be. Some people react to fear by seeking security, change, control. The rest accept the change and just go on about their lives. Miss. She glances back, startled to find a young man there, holding forth a familiar flyer. He's not as pushy as the guy downtown. Once she takes it, he moves on. 
The prayer for the soul of the city is tomorrow. Shuttle buses, specially blessed, will be picking up people at sites throughout the city. We need you to believe, reads the bottom of the flyer. Adele smiles. She folds the flyer carefully, her fingers remembering the skills of childhood. And presently, it is perfect. They've printed the flyer on good, heavy paper. She takes out her St. Christopher, kisses it, and tucks it into the rear folds to weight the thing properly. Then she launches the paper airplane, and it flies and flies and flies, dwindling as it travels in possible distance, until it finally disappears into the bright blue sky. Story time. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Often we hear about bizarre little superstitions athletes believe in. Guzzling a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew before and during every game, dunking a hockey stick in the toilet, giving up sex, and the ever-popular unwashed lucky underwear. I think writers are the same way. Now, I don't consider myself a superstitious person, but when I've been waiting longer than expected to hear back on a story or query, I often find myself indulging in similar mind games. Don't worry, I wash my underwear. But I won't say certain words or mention certain people or click on certain websites or even tell my friends where the story in question is at for fear of some unseen force beyond my control shooting down a rejection or query. And yet, I love how in this particular story, Adele's no longer content on gaming the rules or playing the odds, but like much of the rest of New York City, wants to take the opportunity to harness this positive energy to make the world a better place by empowering herself and the people in her city and making their own luck. Of course, the question is, will it work? Well, that's kind of like what Crash Davis once said. Player on a streak has to respect the streak. You believe you're playing well because you're getting laid, or because you're not getting laid, or because you wear women's underwear, and you are, and you should know that. One very cool bit of good fortune I'd like to point out is that Starship Sofa was nominated for Best Fanzine. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the very first time a podcast has been nominated for this kind of award, and I'm personally thrilled for Tony C. Smith. So hey, if you're a Hugo voter, you could vote for both Starship Sofa and Clark's World. I wonder how Escape Bottle Lining itself with such earth-shattering powers will improve its chances next year for nominations. I don't know, but if you want to do your part in the mind games, go check out some of the stories featured at both Starship Sofa and Clark's World. At the very least, you'll find some cool stories waiting to be discovered by you. I mentioned some of the crazy fiction Clark's World publishes in general. I'd like to particularly single out Peter Watts' The Things, which I think will appeal to a lot of our listeners, and certainly those familiar with the 1984 John Carpenter film. It's a terrifyingly good story, and well worth your attention. As I mentioned earlier, we're brought to you this week by N.K. Jemisin's debut novel for Morbid Books, A Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. How lucky is that? It's an epic fantasy about an outcast who right off the bat is named heiress to the throne, along with a couple other people. You know, that's not going to go over well. It's filled with assassinations, political maneuvering, a dangerous love between gods and mortals, and plays with familiar fantasy genre tropes. But enough of me talking about it. Check out the book trailer.
debut author N.K. Jemison comes a stunning epic fantasy novel of intrigue, betrayal, and dark beauty. is provocative and exciting, says author Kate Elliott. An extraordinary world, says author Carol Berg. Tell me why you killed my mother. The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, out February 25th from Orbit Books. What are the odds that we'll be hearing a lot more about this book during Hugo and Nebula Award nominations next year? I'd say pretty good. That's our show for this week. Thanks for checking in. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative license. So you can take it to prayer rallies and share it all you like. Just don't change it and don't sell it. If you like this week's story, tell your friends or blog about it. And if you can, consider visiting our website at escapepod.org and making a donation. Also, check out our sister podcasts. Pseudopod for Horror, and Podcastle, My Digs for Fantasy. Our music is by Daikaiju. You can find out more about them at daikaiju.org. Our closing quote comes from Thomas Jefferson, who said, I'm a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. We'll see you all in a week. Until then, make your own luck, and have fun. Have fun.